Well, good morning to everyone. This is a busy month at Redeemer. Last week, we celebrated Mother's Day. Today, we especially celebrate our younger people, those who are graduating from high school or for college, and just it's a part of the DNA of this church that is a multi-generation church. We just have a lot to celebrate. So today, we're speaking especially, I'm speaking especially to our younger folks, but most of us who are a little bit older can remember in a very similar way the journey they've, they've taken and the journey that they're uh, about to take. So we've had a busy, busy month this month. We had our preschool graduation last week. It was so cute. The children got little degrees. I, I don't think you can get a job with them, but still, it, it was a wonderful celebration. It was such a good thing. So today I have especially our younger people in mind as I bring this message, but I also have the whole church in mind as we do life together and do faith together as a group of people spanning all of these generations, working together for the sake of God's good purposes in our life and in our world. We also have to acknowledge, if we're a little bit older, we have to acknowledge that the times in which our young people are growing up are incredibly challenging, incredibly challenging because in part, they have, we all have, more choices to make than we've ever had at any time in history. A book written not long ago called The Paradox of Choice by psychiatrist, psychologist Barry Schwartz explains why we have trouble keeping and making commitments, making and keeping commitments. It seems that our whole culture is about choice. And the more choices we have, the more we tend to demand. The more choices we have, the more we get used to choice and we want ever more choices. We tend to think, Schwartz says, that the more we have choices, the more freedom we have. Most people in our culture now believe in the limitless, limitless freedom of all of their possible choices and options. The point of Schwartz's book, though, is that in a world of limitless choice, it doesn't actually make us happy to have so many different choices. In fact, we can feel overwhelmed by having too many choices. So therefore, even making a choice becomes something of a challenge because we wind up never fully committing to anything because there's always another choice available. And when we do make a choice for something, we do that and we tend to think, well, maybe I should have made a different choice because this one's not making us entirely happy. So let me give a few examples of what I'm talking about, about the limitless choices. And this is just on a surface level. If you go into the grocery store, the average full service grocery store has 285 varieties of cookies. I, I know, I've sampled most of them, they're great, but there are 285 varieties of cookies. That same store will have 175 different choices of salad dressings. It seems to me that ranch and balsamic vinegar would be just fine, but there's 175 different choices. There are 230 different kinds of soup in the average grocery store from which we can choose from and there are 40 different kinds of toothpaste. Now think about that one for a minute. Your first choice is generally, do I go for Colgate or Crest? 
And then there are other things. There's, there's, I, I saw one on the shelf the other day that said pro-enamel. Should I choose anti-enamel? I mean, why, why wouldn't I be for enamel? There are promises of this one will make your teeth absolutely the whitest. This is called optic white. And I think to myself, does optic white mean a lot better than just regular white whitening toothpaste? I don't, I don't know. Um, should I choose the Crest or the Colgate? Should I choose the one that says for sensitive gums? And I'm thinking, I don't know. Do some toothpaste make your gums insensitive? I don't know. I have no earthly idea. But there are other examples of the countless choices we have to make. Try going to the doctor. Now, I'm not critical of doctors. I'm married to one, and she's wonderful. But I'm just saying, you go to the doctor, and you have some medical problem. And the doctor says, well, for this problem, we can either do A or B. There are benefits and risks to both. And then the doctor says, which one do you want to choose, A or B? And so as the patient, you naturally say, well, if you were me, which one would you choose? And he says, I'm not you. You'll have to decide. It's constant. Not too long ago, I went to get a new pair of jeans. Now, I'm a kind of a hard size to fit. But I went to Drysdale's to get a new pair of jeans. And um, my old jeans, I had two pairs of old jeans. They were very comfortable, but they were kind of getting worn out. And guys my age don't look good in worn out jeans. They gotta be at least reasonably new. So I go to, uh, to ask them about jeans and the guy says, well, we can find your size, I think. He says, do you want boot cut, tapered, or slim fit? I'm already confused. And then he says, do you want acid washed or stone washed? And I told him, I have no idea what you just asked me. After a little bit of conversation with this very nice clerk, I finally just said, you know, I think I'm okay with my old jeans and I went home. <laughs> I just solved the problem. Schwartz concludes his thoughts on choice by saying that though we tend to want many choices. Choices don't actually make us happy. In fact, the choices we make often leave us confused and dissatisfied. Think with me, go back to the beginning of the Bible. Go back to the people of Israel, to the early books in the Old Testament. The Bible unfolds the story of the Israelites who were miraculously delivered by the hand of the powerful, all-living God. The Egyptian gods were powerless. They were no match for the gods of Israel. But there were a lot of other gods in that day and time, too, small-g gods. There were the Canaanite gods and the Hittite gods. There were the Amorite gods and all the other ites of all the other different gods that existed in that day and time. Now picture the Israelites. They were about to cross into the promised land. God gave his people a powerful word about what the multiple generations of God's people, from the youngest to the oldest, what the multiple generations of God's people were to do in the midst of all the choices that would face them in all the lands that they would be seeing and all the people they would be encountering. 
Our passage is from Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. Listen to this. These are the commands, the decrees, and the laws of the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing from the Jordan to possess, to become your own, so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy a long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And then this next section is a really important piece of the Bible. We'll see that in a moment in the New Testament too. This is called the Shema. This is for the observant Jews then and now. The most important, these are the most important words that they repeat day in, day out, day after day. Here are the really important words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that made a distinction between the, the cultures around them that had multiple gods. The Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Notice how clear the instruction is. Keep these decrees and commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Impress them on your children. All these verbs, talk about them. Write them down on things that you pass by every day. When we get to the New Testament, Jesus makes an absolute affirmation of the Word of God in the Old Testament through the words of the Shema. We find that Jesus made that his core teaching, that that's what he would decide who's the real follower, who is a disciple of Jesus. It will be the one who keeps the commandments in the Shema. One day, an expert of the law came up to Jesus, and he asked him an honest question. Paraphrasing it, he says, how does one enter into the spiritual journey with God? And Jesus replied with the very same words from Deuteronomy, which he had learned and which he had memorized as a child, and which he still, as an observant Jew, would say multiple times every day. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is affirming the Old Testament here. He's also making it really quite simple. It's simple to understand. It's more difficult in its execution. But it's simple to understand out of all the choices that we have as the people of God of today, what is it that we're supposed to choose to do? Out of all the choices for our life, 
out of all the complexities of life, out of all the complexities sometimes we even find out in church, of all the things to know and all the words to understand and all of it, Jesus boils it down very simply to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself, which presumes, by the way, that you also need to love yourself and feel good about the creation that God has made in you. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You will have fulfilled the law of God if you do those things. That's how Jesus boils down spirituality. Even all the complexities that we live with in this life and all the choices we have to make, those are still our fundamental choices. Joshua, in another place in Scripture from Joshua 24, once challenged his own people to throw away their belief in alien gods and to throw out all the complexities of this multitude of gods that existed in the cultures around them. And he said to them, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. Choose which one you will follow. Wherever you live, wherever you next go, choose the God of your forefathers choices. We all have a million choices to make every day. It just seems like the world gets ever more complex. It seemed complex when I was 18 years old. It has to be even more complex for our young people now. But I remember, as many of you probably remember, when I left home for the first time, when I went to college, when I was faced with choices. So let me tell you a little bit about my going to school story because it's just as fresh in my mind as if it were yesterday. So I went to a college in Arizona, a place called Northern Arizona University on a basketball scholarship. I went there for two reasons. One, Flagstaff, Arizona is an unbelievably cool, mountainous college town. And number two, I didn't get a lot of other offers. Okay. So I went to Flagstaff, Arizona. I say my tearful goodbyes with my family. I get on a jet plane for the first time in my life. We leave Tulsa. The plane loses an engine, has to make an emergency stop in Oklahoma City. Then I get rerouted through Phoenix, through Los Angeles, and then up to Flagstaff, Arizona. I get off of the plane. There's the coach there to meet me. Now, unfortunately, the coach that had recruited me was no longer there. So this was a coach I didn't know. The coach looks at me when I get off the plane. I come into the little passenger area of this very small airport. And his first words were to me were, you're not as tall as I'd hoped you'd be. <laughs> hey, listen, I tried. I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty tall. I'm sorry I'm not seven feet tall. I didn't say that, but I was thinking that. So then he drives me to the dorm. He lets me out. He says, we'll see you at practice tomorrow. We're going to go do some running drills. The altitude was 7,000 feet, so I was already intimidated about what the next day would bring. I'm away from home. I'm homesick already, and I check in at the dorm. 
I check in at the dorm, and uh, they say, well, your roommate is Bob from, he's from Los Angeles, he's another basketball player. I drag my suitcases up three flights of stairs, get into the dorm room, kind of just sit there on the edge of the bed for a while, like, my life has just really changed. Wow, this is going to be interesting. Then Bob comes in. Bob is a L.A. guy. Bob is, I later learned, a great basketball player, not much of a student, but a great basketball player. Bob comes into the room in a very cool-looking vibe. He just kind of had this California surfer look. It was just cool-looking guy. And he, we introduce ourselves. Um, he says, I hear you're from Oklahoma. And I said, yeah. I said, do you know where that is? He says, I don't have a clue where Oklahoma is. He says, I, where is Oklahoma? It's some, I just said, it's kind of in the middle of the country between here and Florida. That's all I could tell Bob. Bob. Bob was a challenging guy, and I would learn that that would be a tough semester for us together, but we sort of worked it out. Anyway, I'm opening up my bags and I'm putting up my stuff. And I open up my bags. I'm a, I'm a pretty new Christian, but I'm pretty into this Christian thing now. And I pull out a couple of Christian books and then a Bible, and I put them on my desk. And here's Bob's exact quote. Wow, man, far out. You've got a Bible. I said, yeah, I, I'm a Christian, and I read my Bible. Wow, wow, man, yeah, like far out. So then Bob's unpacking his bags. One of the first thing Bob pulls out is a bong. Yeah. Bob says, to, Bob says to me, you want to share some weed? And I, I, I want you to know I declined. I declined. But I got to thinking later what I should have said was, if you'll read my Bible, I'll share some weed. But I thought, no, that probably wouldn't have been a good witness anyway. So Bob's doing his thing. I'm unpacking my bag in this haze in the room. And I'm thinking, my world has really just changed, <laughs> and my choices have multiplied greatly, and the complexities of life have really changed. Bob, Bob struggled with school. Bob struggled with school because Bob actually never got out of bed. Um, I would wake up Bob in the morning, and then I'd go to breakfast, and then I'd wake up Bob again. And finally, Bob would just say, what time's practice? I said, 2.30. He said, just wake me up at 2, will you? So I'd wake up Bob at 2 o'clock. So to this day, by the way, when I give advice to students, I tell them I have one surefire way, if, you go in, if you're going to college, how to succeed in college. It's so simple. It, it's just so simple. It's just a preliminary step. But if you'll just get out of bed and go to breakfast every day, you've got it made. It's all you got to know. It's all you got to know. Bob didn't learn that lesson, so he lasted a semester, and I don't ever know what happened to Bob, but he was a good guy making tough choices. So in the world of all of this complexity, in the world of, of all the complications, all the choices, here we are in this multi-generational church and most of us remember, most of us remember some season in our life where we were challenged by the issues of choice. 
and it's gotten nothing but more complex as life has gone on. So the word in a way, in a way is to all of us, but in part it's especially to our, to our younger people, whom we are proud of, whom we are proud that we could share church with you, whom we are proud of that we can be a part of your lives in some small way or big way. We're proud of you. We want the best for you. And I can't give you a list of do's and don'ts. It really boils down to what Jesus said in the ancient Hebrew Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. You do those things, you do those things, you'll make good choices. You'll, you'll make good decisions. You'll make good life-giving choices for yourself and for other people. Because you'll be around a lot of folks who are utterly perplexed with the world of choice around them. You can be that stable presence in the lives of not only yourself, but for people around you. The same goes for us as a church. Out of all the complexities of life, out of all the complexities of the choices we make, out of all the complexities of a five-generation church seeking to worship God in a God-honoring way and still sort of meeting the test of what we think it ought to be like, remember, remember the Shema, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, and to love the person right next to us or the one down the dorm room hallway or your roommate with differences, or whoever you encounter, love them as yourself. That's God's word for you and for our whole church. I'd like to ask if, if they'd be so bold, if anybody who's graduating from high school or college would just stand up as I pray, because I'd love to pray for you. Do you have the nerve to do that? Would you just stand up if you're a graduate? Yes. So stay standing while I pray, but just know that we're proud of you and we're praying for you now and for days to come. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for these young friends, these young sisters and brothers in the faith. Thank you for their presence among us, for the vitality that they give us. Thank you that you've uh, given them to us to share in this season of life together. And we pray for their next steps, whatever those next steps are, Lord. Love them well. Help them to love themselves well. Help them to love other people well. And help them to love you with their whole hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated now. Bless you all. Amen.